This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. It is Wednesday, April the 12th, 2023, and it is time for The Bullpen with Adam the Bull. And this late edition, as always, as part of the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. And for the first time in the history of The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network, we have a guest on today's podcast. It is longtime NFL reporter. Now with CBS Sports, Aditi Kinkabwala. We will talk with Aditi about plenty of things, but really focus on the AFC North. That's coming up later in the show. Plus, the latest from baseball, including a record-breaking start from one team, and the NBA playoffs are underway, kind of. We'll figure that all out. That's coming up on this Wednesday edition of The Bullpen with Adam the Bull as part of the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull. All right, folks. Uh, Aditi's going to join us in just a little bit. I'm excited to talk with her. She's a good friend. She's been covering the NFL for years from her time growing up in New Jersey in the New York area with the Wall Street Journal uh, to a longtime stint with the NFL Network and now most recently uh, part of the CBS Sports crew. Uh, she's also done a lot of work. She does plenty of podcast stuff as well. She's been a regular contributor to my TV show, the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. And now for the first time, she joins me in the bullpen uh, as part of Bet Rivers. So I'm excited about that. And she'll be with us in, in about five minutes. But I did want to hit on a couple other things first as we get up this morning on a Wednesday. You know, what's been going on um, with in Major League Baseball, we're two weeks into the season, right? And there's a record-breaking story here, and that is the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, um, I said before the season, and I shouldn't pat myself on the back for this because so far a lot of my predictions are looking really bad. <laughs> it's early. You don't want to get carried away. Uh, Alec Manoa, who I picked to win the Cy Young in the American League, has been awful. Um, I was I was like uh, Verlander and Scherzer are going to lead the Mets to the World Series. So far, Verlander hasn't pitched. Scherzer has been bad. I pitched better his last start, but um, you know, made the point of everybody's talking about the Yankees all the time, and the Yankees are playing fine. I mean, they're seven and four; they're doing fine. But the Tampa Bay Rays are off to an unbelievable start, a record-breaking start, if you will. They beat the Boston Red Sox last night, eleven to nothing. And are now, ele- I'm sorry, they beat the Boston Red Sox 8-3. to three. I don't even remember the score. Their record is 7-2. Ele- their record is 11 and nothing, if you will, or 11-0, more appropriately. They've allowed, their pitching staff has given up just 20 runs in their first 11 games. 
which obviously is in the be- is the best in Major League Baseball. The second best, let's see. Actually, the Brewers have only given up 27 runs. That's really good also. And the Brewers are off to a great start, too. They're 8-3. But the Brewers have scored 55 runs, which the- was a lot less than the Rays. The Rays have 83 runs. So the Rays at this point lead the majors in runs scored by a lot. I think the Dodgers are second with 69. I'm just double-checking quickly if there's anybody with more than that. Yeah, so they're 14 more runs scored than the Dodgers, and they've allowed just 20 runs, as I said, which is seven less than the Brewers. So to be number one in scoring and number one in runs allowed, pretty amazing. Now, some people would point to the fact that they haven't played the toughest schedule to start the season, and that would be factually correct. The teams they've played are the Tigers, who are awful, the Nationals, who are awful, the A's, who are awful, and the Red Sox, who I think will be mediocre. So they haven't played anybody yet. They've played all their games at home except for the three with the Nationals. But nonetheless, it's baseball. To go 11-0 is just crazy. And most of these games have not been close. Here are the scores. 4-0, 12-2, 5-1, 6-2, 10-6, 7-2, 9-5, 11-0, 11-0 again. One nothing on the Monday. That's the Red Sox game. That game was tied late. That was the, the one close game. And then they beat the Sox 7-2 yesterday. Uh, they'll play again tonight. Um, and the pitching matchup, Chris Sale and Taj Bradley. Taj Bradley's a, a real nice young prospect for, for Tampa Bay um, who will be uh, who just got called up yesterday. I believe it's his major league debut. I can't remember if he pitched at all in the big leagues last year. I'm 99% sure I'm going to double check because I want to be sure I'm right about this. Or if I'm wrong, I can correct myself. Uh, but I don't think Taj Bradley is pitching in the majors yet. Um, he's a big time prospect. He just turned 22 years old last month. And yeah, he is, he is, uh, no, he is not pitching the big leagues yet. He had made uh, two starts for, for, uh, triple a, um, earlier this season. And he made, uh, 12 starts for triple a last year. So, He's going up against Chris Sale. We all know Chris Sale. You know, the guy was once a great pitcher. Uh, it feels like he's at the beginning of the end. He's had so many injuries. He's obviously getting old at this point. So I don't know how much Chris Sale has left in the tank with all the injuries he's had. He's, he's not even – it's funny because Chris Sale just turned 34. feels like he's been around longer than that. I feel like I, In my mind, he was like 38, 39. He's still young enough that he can turn it around. But it's been a while since he's been been good, but we'll see. But uh, Tampa with a great chance to get to 12-0 today. We'll see if they can keep up this record-breaking pace. It's been absolutely remarkable uh, what he's done so far this season. In term, and, and what's funny is, you know, I, I said before the season, I thought that the, um, the AL East, and this was not a bold prediction or anything, that, that there was a chance all five teams would be over 500. So far, pretty close to playing out that way. Again, way early, silly sample size. But so far, Tampa 11-0, Toronto and the Yankees are 7-4. Uh, Baltimore six and five. Boston fell under five hundred yesterday by losing to Tampa. They're five and six. A um, couple of other interesting things. I don't know if anybody saw this game, but uh, last night at Wrigley Field, this was a wild game. Last night, um, the Mariners scored two runs in the first and five in the second. At Wrigley. So they were up 7 nothing after an inning and a half. And, you know, usually you're up 7 nothing, It's game over. And not a lot of teams come back down 7 nothing. Not only did the Cubs come back, they won going away. Um, and it wasn't even like we've seen games like this 
at Wrigley Field in the past, but those usually happen in the summer with the crazy wind blowing out. Every once in a while, there's a game at Wrigley where the wind's blowing out and and it's just this crazy home runs and all this, but it wasn't really a game like that. There weren't a ton of home runs in this game. It was a lot of singles and doubles and it ended up being a ton of runs scored. What's amazing about this game, and it shows you how the new pitch clock has played a role. So the score was the final score. So as I said, the Mariners were up seven, nothing Cubs got one back in the bottom of the second. Then they scored eight in the bottom of the third to go up nine, seven Mariners made it nine, eight in the fourth, but then the Cubs put it away with two in the fifth, three in the sixth to go up 14, eight Mariners got one more late, but the final score 14 to nine. So you had a game where there were 23 runs, 28 hits, um, surprisingly, only nine pitchers used in the game. In a game with 23 runs, you'd think there'd be more pitchers used, but there wasn't because uh, the Cubs bullpen at least actually pitched pretty well uh, in this game. But uh, how about a game where you have 23 runs and 28 hits, and the time of the game was only three hours and two minutes? I mean, last year, the Yankees and Red Sox would be in the fifth inning three hours and two minutes. It really shows you how much, because this is a game typically – in most seasons, is a four-hour game, or at minimum three and a half, three forty-five. But to play a twenty-three-run, twenty-eight-hit game in three hours and two minutes, game moved. Game moved. I watched a lot of baseball last night. Um, and so there you go. Best team in the National League right now. Early Milwaukee at eight and three. The Braves, not surprisingly, off to a good start at eight and four. Uh, the surprise over 500 teams early are in the central with the pirates at seven and four and the Cubs at six and four. I think the pirates are the bigger surprise there. And that's it. All the other teams over five diamondbacks, maybe at seven and five, a little early surprise. Dodgers aren't playing great. Phillies are playing lousy so far. Kind of like the Marlins plus a run and a half. Um, if you go to the bet river sports book, the Marlins are, on the run line are minus one thirty six at a run and a half. So obviously they're you know decent decent favorite with the run line. They're plus one sixty on the money line. I, I really like the Marlins today. I, I have a buddy who's who's betting the the against the A's on the run line every game this year, and they're you know he's betting minus one and a half whoever they're playing. The A's are terrible. I think they're going to lose one hundred and ten games. Um, they lost again yesterday. And again, I guess the Orioles, the Orioles covered. They won by three or four runs. Right At the moment, uh, at uh, the Bet River Sportsbook here in Ohio, the Orioles are plus 116, actually, with a, with a mi- minus, uh, you know, with one and a half runs. So they got to win by two, but you're getting plus money on that. So, I mean, it's you kind of like your chances. I actually kind of like, um, um, it was one other game I liked, and I just forgot what it was. Uh, I'm going to look through the, the the games here for a second because I got to got to uh, bring my memory back. Oh, um, no, that was uh, well, I like yeah Toronto with the with the run line as well. I wouldn't want to bet it money line because they're minus two eighty six, so I bet it on the run line. Get you know you, you lay the run and a half, but it's only minus one thirty two. So there you go. Anyway, a couple of picks. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the great Aditi Kinkabwala of CBS Sports. She joins me next right here, The Bullpen with Adam the Bull. You're in The Bullpen with Adam the Bull. All right, we are back. It is The Bullpen with Adam the Bull, part of the Bet Rivers Network. And I'm joined now by good friend Aditi Kinkabwala from CBS Sports. 
Aditi, how are you today? Tremendous. I get to talk to you. you. I know, and I get to see you. Now, we get to see each other. The folks uh, you know, that are listening only here in the audio, but it's nice to be able to see you because we haven't seen you in a couple of weeks on the show. And there's a lot to get to, even though this is the... There used to be when we were kids, and I'm a lot older than you, but even when you were a kid, there was a lot of slow time for football in the offseason. But now there's very little slow time, and we're coming out of the one... like. Free agency is basically over in a week, week and change. I know there's a few stragglers out there and you'll have the draft coming up, but we're, we're in a couple of weeks here where there's nothing. And then after the draft, yeah, you got mini camps. It's a little quiet, but there really these days is very little downtime in the NFL. It's amazing. You got to be thinking about it all the time. And that's exactly what the NFL wants, right? Well, of course it is. And yeah. I always think it's so funny when people say, what do you do in the off season? And yeah. my response has been what off season, right? It's even, you know, forget being a kid. I just remember my first year as a giants beat writer, there was more time from the end of mandatory mini camp to the start of training camp. Like you really had a quiet period in the summer, a good right you know, all of July, because training car didn't start until August. Right. But even now, like that seeming period, there's franchise tag deadlines and signing, you know, like there's, there's right. always something happening. And the way the Hall of Fame game is, people are reporting for training camp in the middle of July. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah it's, you're right. It's really different. It's really, I feel like it's just a couple of weeks, late March uh, in early, early April, and then... You get it. There's a little time late June and to early, early, yeah, early not July. Not even the Odell Beckham signing, Adam. Like that That's was true. Huge. You're talking You're, about late March, early April. That was a massive deal. It's a good point. And I'll get to that in a second because Kareem Hunt's still out there. That'll be a story. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's still out there. That'll be a story. Does Joe Mixon end up getting cut by Cincinnati? We could see a Justin Herbert extension. We could see a Joe Burrow extension. So there is still a lot of things happening. You're always waiting. Let's talk. You brought up Odell, so let's bring it up. When I saw the news that he had signed with the Ravens, all right, that wasn't crazy. Uh, but when I saw $18 million with $15 million guaranteed, I almost fell off my chair. I was so stunned. What was your reaction when you saw that news? Uh, pretty close to that one as well. Yeah. You know, but it's funny. And part of it, Adam, is because the Ravens haven't really spent a ton of money on receiver in recent history. Right. I'm actually really struggling to think of someone when they've gone out and spent a lot of money on a receiver. I and can't that's think of definitely anytime. been something the last few years with Lamar that as much as we sit here and we talk about the strides that he's made to improve as a passer, but are the Ravens putting good targets, good options around him in the past game. And they focus, you know, because it's not, nothing happens in a vacuum. It's not only about how he is throwing the ball or how he's reading a defense. He also needs some game breakers to throw to. So on the one hand, you can't sit here and rip the Ravens for not having paid well enough to that position group or cared enough about that position group. And then turn around and say, well, now you are paying and we're going to rip you as well. You know, right, like you right. can't really have it both ways. I I automatically go to um, Odell knows something that we don't know. And that would be that he and Lamar have some sort of. Now, obviously, I think that Odell is smart enough to recognize the amount of money that can be made in endorsement dollars. And he knows how great the New York market is. He's lived it. So he had this opportunity 
to go visit the Jets, which was scheduled today, where even Joe Douglas is basically saying that Aaron Rodgers is coming. And this is a fait accompli. They need to figure it out. So you've got a chance to play with, not even arguably, play with the best quarterback that you will have played with in your entire career. No disrespect to Eli Manning or Matthew Stafford or Baker Mayfield, your favorite, Adam. (laughs) But you've got a chance to play with Aaron Rodgers in the New York market where you have owned that market, where you know all of these things are available to you. And the Jets weren't going to give him $15 guaranteed with $3 million in, in incentives, but he knows that he can make up a deficit of a few million dollars if he's got monster numbers and he's in that big market. And yet he chose the Ravens where Ravens fans don't know who their quarterback is. So don't you have to feel like Odell knows that he's had some sort of conversation with Lamar? And don't you feel, wait, one more other piece. Don't you feel like the Ravens who don't overpay receivers and don't really overpay as a rule, are they paying for something extra? Meaning, Greasing the wheels a little bit for Lamar to come back to the fold. I, I think there is a lot to read into this because my first reaction was similar, but it was from a team perspective. When I heard this, my first reaction was, well, the Ravens have decided that no matter what, they're not letting him go. You know, in the NBA, the players have a ton of power. When they say they want out, they almost always get out. That doesn't happen in the NFL. Like, the players don't have that same kind of power. So ultimately, if the Ravens play hardball, the only option Lamar Jackson would have would be to sit out, you know, if they refuse to trade him or if they match any contract offer that they might get after the draft or whatever. But if if they don't want to let him go, his only option would be to sit out. And I just find it hard to believe that even on the franchise tag that he would do that. It's so much money. As we've talked about, it hasn't worked out well. Le'Veon Bell did it. It was a disaster for him. And I understand he's a quarterback, but still, I I just can't imagine him sitting out. So I thought of it as, well, the Ravens must know that Lamar is going to play for them because otherwise, why else would you sign? Because if, if let's say Tyler Huntley ends up being their quarterback this year, I know he's a restricted free agent, but I assume they'd bring him back. You know, maybe either way, but certainly if Lamar's gone, like they could be, they. I feel like they're a five-win team with Tyler Huntley. Maybe six, whatever. They're not good, and so why would you spend the money on Odell unless you were sure or nearly sure that Lamar was coming back? But I hadn't. My mind didn't go to where yours did that Lamar has told him something because Lamar, I don't know, because I guess I just believe that Lamar is so ticked that the Odell thing alone wouldn't change his mind about this. But I, I you may be right. Well, they have a relationship. They're friends. Absolutely. So. Yes. Yeah, he would know. Yeah. Or did I mean, Odell... You, don't you think that Odell... I mean, if this guy's your friend... Yeah. I mean, heck, we call each other about job things. What are you signing on with and who is this? Is this a company that you would feel good about? So it's kind of the same exact way. That's fair. I wonder. And, and, and if Lamar really was scorched earth on the Ravens, then wouldn't he even rip the Ravens to Odell? It's not like Odell didn't have other options. I mean, he could have at least gone to New Jersey and seen what... You know, what was out there? What if but he heard through the grapevine that the, the Jets were not even close in guaranteed money? I'm you sure not. Yeah. I mean, coming off of the injury. and yeah. How good do you think he is still? Like, can 
Like, is he a guy? To me, it used to be a thousand yard season. Again, going back to when we were kids. And even if you like between the 17 games and just the fact that offense has exploded in the NFL, I, for me personally, I look at 1,200 as what I used to think about a thousand yard season. So do you think Odell is capable of being a 1,200 or even a thousand yard receiver at this point in his career? I do. Yeah, I do. I think a lot of it, though, is not just about the yards. It's about the touchdowns. Absolutely. When you come down with the, you know, can you make the money catch? Can you make the tough catch? And it's not, again, it's not just about the yards and it's not just about the acrobatic catches. It's about, you know, being a reliable red zone threat Mm -hmm. because I don't know that he's still just racing past everybody. You know, right. not that that yeah. was ever really sort of the thing that we talked about with him. Um, I think that he has a lot to motivate him, you know, and I think that sure. one thing about him is that he's not, oh, okay, I got my money. I'm going to rest. I think that the way that certain things went down the knocks, I think that that still kind of plays with him a little bit. And even though, you know, whatever the messiness in Cleveland was, even though he then went on to such tremendous success in L.A. and was killing it in that Super Bowl until he got hurt, don't you feel like that just drives him that much more to get back to that sort of a spot? Like, I don't think that he – I can't imagine that he would think that's the end of the story. Like, okay – yeah. I came back. I proved that I'm the star here, and I know where you fall on this one. Um, yeah. It was about the quarterback, not about me. You know, I, I don't think that that's the end. I think he still yeah. feels like there's unfinished stuff to prove. It's going to be fascinating because obviously his first th- three years with the Giants, he was playing at a Hall of Fame pace, and he really, since year three with the Giants, has not had a single Hall of Fame season. A lot of it, obviously, due to injury. He's had two ACL injuries. He's going to turn 31 this season in November, which is often an age that wide receivers start to go off the cliff. But yeah, as much as I've been critical of him, I do think he has, if he can stay healthy, and that's a huge if with him, I do think he's got at least one more good year in him. Uh, But can he stay healthy? And will he be happy on the Ravens? Because even with Lamar, Didi, you know this, they're a Like he was unhappy with the Browns because they didn't throw the ball a lot. The Ravens are the one of the absolutely run first teams, no matter who's the quarterback, but certainly whether it's Lamar or Tyler Huntley, unless they go totally off the board and there's some random quarterback we're not thinking of, which I can't imagine, they're going to run the ball a ton. And will he be happy, especially if they're not winning? I don't know. I mean, I go back all the way to the year that Joe Flacco hurt his back and John Harbaugh put Lamar Jackson in. And of course the Ravens went on that crazy run. And I still remember talking about this with Willie Sneed, who was in that receiving room Yeah, that and Crabtree was there. And I, and these guys blocked, I mean that you would see them yeah. after the game and all of them were just beat up black and blue. And they spent all game, every game blocking and they took pride in it publicly mm-hmm. But I remember quietly asking Willie Sneed once, like, doesn't it, like, don't you complain? Like, doesn't anyone have a problem with it? And he's like, oh, yeah, in our room, we do. Like, in mm-hmm. the wide receiver room, everybody moans and complains and wishes that the offense was a little more diverse. And then they get it out of their system, and that's that. And he said, mm-hmm. when you're winning, 
It's hard to That's really right. complain publicly. How do you yes. demand the ball? How do you say we need to throw it more when you're winning? Yeah. So um, it's been a very common refrain since Lamar has been the starting quarterback in Baltimore. Yeah. And like I said, I was there just about every week his rookie year. I can tell you how hard he's worked and how many gains he has indeed made. He just didn't throw the ball much. I mean, yeah, he didn't throw the ball a lot in college. And then Adam pregame, he wouldn't come out and throw. He wouldn't come out and warm up. The first time that he came out on the field pregame was when he was in his uniform. <laughs> and I remember being like, what is he doing? Yeah. Like, throw the ball. He just... Yeah. And he's really, really improved in that area and has really worked at it and put in the time and... But it is still, you're right, a run-first offense. Yeah. Of course, let's see what, you know, there's a new offensive coordinator. That's true. Let's see what... Maybe they change a little bit. Let's stick in the AFC North. Um, obviously, you and I have talked about the Browns a ton. What I don't know if I've asked you this specifically. When, when the Browns first traded for Deshaun Watson, obviously, it sat out a whole year with Houston. Then he gets to spend 11 games. He plays six games, and he does not play well overall. He had a couple of moments. But for the most part, he played at a subpar level, nowhere close to the guy we saw in Houston. Now, the guy we saw in Houston, uh, the team didn't have a ton of success. He did go to the playoffs two of the three full years he played. But he was putting up numbers that were Hall of Fame worthy for those three years in Houston, at the very least borderline Hall of Fame worthy. But I, I think they were Hall of Fame worthy. When the Browns acquired him, what did you think was the chance that he would still be able to play at that level? And has your opinion changed based on what happened last year with those six games? Well, I thought that he had to be able to play at that level. Yeah. If they were guaranteeing him that amount of money, then whatever evaluation or discernment or you know, auditionings, tryout, I don't even know what to call it. They must have seen something that wasn't just past work, meaning they had to feel that in the present, right. he could still do that. And you're not giving that kind of money and dealing with all the blowback for your franchise in signing him and all his baggage, if you don't believe that. I... I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna, but I think I'm a little bit more bullish on the way he played okay. than the average person is when he did come back. And I think yeah. that that's because I am considering the circumstances and the factors. The fact that he didn't have a full, complete offseason in the program. The fact that his training camp was not an ordinary training camp where you're running the ones the mm -hmm. entire camp. Because as you remember, True. before the Browns preseason game against the Eagles is when they switched yep. and he started getting fewer reps. And he missed there wasn't significant preseason action. Then he was gone, entirely gone from the team where he was not allowed to study the playbook or watch film as put together by the team. So that's just, I don't care what you're doing on a high school field and what you're running through with your quarterbacks coach. It's just not the same. So I think it's not just the rust factor, but that there was this, I don't know what to call it, information gap from having been absent. Mm -hmm. And then Fair. we know how much chemistry matters at the yep. position of quarterback, whether it's with your running backs, with your line, with your receivers, with your tight ends, with your play caller, mm -hmm. you know, and that was one of the things that Deshaun Watson talked to us because at CBS we had him 
a few times late in once he came back that one of the biggest gains he felt like he was making was just communicating with Kevin Stefanski and kind of getting on the same page and figuring out how to, you know, what they like and what he likes versus what fits in what situation. So I expect an enormous jump this year, significant. And I think anything yeah. less than a significant jump is a disappointment. I would go a step further. I, I actually agree with you. I think he's going to make a big jump. I think he's going to get back to that player or at the very least close to being the player he was in Houston. I think it's a disaster if he doesn't make a significant jump. Oh, because yeah. they, Even if you like what he did better than I do, it's clearly not good enough, not anywhere close. So right. if he plays anywhere close to that level, I think obviously you and I will be surprised because we both don't think it's going to happen, but it's a disaster for the team. All right, I, I want to hit on the other two AFC North teams real quick before we wrap up. Let's start with the Steelers. I'm I'm always uh, picking on the Steelers, which is silly because they're always better than – well, they're not better than the Bengals now, but they're, they've been better than Browns consistently. Why is that? Do you pick on them because – is it envy? Is it uh, annoying I mean, that they – Well, you know, I I guess when you grow up rooting for teams that stink, as the Bengals did – although the I shouldn't say that. The Bengals did go – The Bengals are good for a period of your childhood. They, they were. They've had pockets. Early 80s. <laughs> they were good again in the late 80s. But, like, I knew a lot of Steeler fans in New York growing up, including my best friend was a Steeler fan, although he's not obnoxious about it at all. But a lot of Steeler fans are so obnoxious. And that's not just Steeler fans. Any fans of a team that's consistently good – Yankee fans – Patriots fans now, I'm sure, right? Like fans of the of those teams. I was going to say the Cowboys, but they're not winners, but they were, you know, back in the day in the 90s. The fans become entitled and obnoxious. So I've always found Steeler fans to be that way. And so, you know, I like to tweak when I can. But in reality, so what do you really... one. Wait, so that's in the AFC North. That's the team that you despise the most. Yeah, it's funny. I don't just say this because I'm from Cleveland, but I, or not, I'm from Cleveland, but I live here now and I'm, I've been here a long time, planning to spend the rest of my life here, at least until I retire, which is not coming anytime soon. And I didn't dis, uh, my dad was a Browns fan as a kid and then switched to the Bengals because of Paul Brown. So I kind of always, even before I ever had been to Cleveland, I always had a little soft spot in my heart for the Browns. So I, I never disliked them, even when they had, and the only time they've ever really had a good rivalry was in the eighties with Bernie Kosar and Boomer. That was really the only time. And otherwise they've both been, when the Browns have been good, the Bengals have been bad vice versa. Maybe this year it'll be different because I think the teams have a good chance to finish first and second this year. But so I never hated the Browns. I, I hated the Ravens because, again, even though I wasn't from here, I thought it was a disgrace that the Browns got taken away. So I hated them. But I always hated the Steelers because they were always the bullies of the division. And it really I really went over the top when Kimo von Olhoffen <laughs> took that shot at Carson Palmer on his knee and blew out his knee in a play. In a year, I thought the Bengals were going to go back to the Super Bowl with Carson Palmer. And then that was the, the Bengals were a disaster after that. I always find time. it fascinating. And you know what's yeah. so interesting? And I say it because my husband, who, as you know, is born yeah. and brought up a Steelers fan, yeah. season ticket waitlist for 21 years, now owns the season tickets, whatever. He hates the Browns. And I it's never funny. really got why he hated the Browns so much more than the Ravens. And especially when I first moved to Pittsburgh, I said to him, yeah. like, the, the Browns are like hating the little sisters of the poor. They were yeah. never competing with the Steelers. Why are you wasting your hate on them? The Ravens yeah. are actually really good. Right. But I guess it's it's what what's wired into you. I and wonder I'll tell you this. As yeah. a reformed, I mean, I'm not really a fan of anything anymore just because yeah. it's not, not my job. But 
the teams that were my favorite teams' rivals growing up, I still have animosity towards right. the rivals more yes. than I have affinity for the teams that I rooted for. I get that. And I wonder if, like, your husband's not old enough for when the Browns were really, really good. But but I I don't even mean the 80s when the Browns – I mean, the Browns were good in the 80s, whatever, but – I mean, he was born in 1983, so yeah. Right, so he wasn't even – he's not even old enough for that. But But when the Browns were really great, in the fifties and sixties and the Steelers and this, like the Steelers have been good forever since the seventies. But when they first came on the scene, you know, like in the fifties and sixties, the Steelers were terror. They were considered right. before the seventies, they were a horrible franchise. And so probably his dad or his mom or whoever got him into football, they, that's where he probably got the hate from the Browns from. That's my guess that they yeah, put it in his it was DNA, passed right? on. Yeah. Yes. Passed down. And exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that's a big part of it. Fandom is. Okay. So but, I hijacked that. So, I no, no. So Kenny Pickett I, and I pick on him and I, I don't think he's that I look at him and I feel like he's a Mac Jones, like, you know, he's okay player. I don't think he's going to be the next Ben Roethlisberger. I, I don't think they do, but do you think, am I being unfair? Do you think he's, I mean, it's one year. I'm, it's just, I'm not saying we know that because it's only been one year and, that's, and that is not fair. I'm just speculating. But what is your speculation on his future? I think Kenny Pickett has all the tools to be a yeah. great pro. Do I, am I ready to call him right now a future Hall of Famer? No, I'm not going to say that. But I really do believe that he has all the tools to make it happen. He's got every intangible that you want. And so what do I mean by that? It's that drive. It's that chip. It's that focus. It's that leadership. It's that teammate. It's, you know, it, it, it's funny. I was just talking to someone who works for the Steelers about how different the locker room is, that it's a totally different feeling. Right. And I think we saw Kenny really grow as the season went on, which is something that you expect out of any young quarterback. I mean, I saw it with Trevor Lawrence, who was in year two, but right. it's funny. I'll tell you this. I got a chance to have dinner with Daryl Bevel, who is, of course, the quarterback's coach right now in Miami with Tua Tunga-Vailoa. But he coached Brett Favre. He was Aaron Rodgers' first coach. He was Russell Wilson's first coach. He was Trevor Lawrence's first coach. He has the um, terrible <laughs> – I don't even know what the right word is, but – he he was the interim head coach in Detroit after the Matt Patricia mess, and he was the yeah. interim head coach in Jacksonville after the Urban Meyer mess. Right. So yes. He is one of the most tremendous, wonderful men in this entire profession, never curses, never raises his voice. But anyway, he was telling me that we often talk about quarterbacks making a transition from college to the NFL, and we say, oh, they need to learn how to go under center, you know, that that's a transition. Okay, fine. We talk about things like that. But he said, you know, college quarterbacks don't read defenses and call plays. They don't call right. plays, and they don't call a play in a huddle. They don't command a huddle. Yeah, so fair. now you're asking a 20, 21, 22-year-old kid to come in there and control a huddle Well, you've probably got some offensive linemen that have been playing for 10 years. You're looking across at grown men who make a lot of money, who've been doing this a long time, and you have to suddenly control the huddle. You have to command the huddle. And so what Coach Bevel was telling me is that this is one of those things that we don't talk that much about, but is really honestly the hardest thing for a rookie quarterback to do. And Kenny Pickett did it. 
Yeah. Kenny Pickett had the respect of that locker room, had the respect of that huddle, so much so that twice as a rookie, he led game-winning drives at the end of the game. So fourth quarter, game-winning drives. There is a football for, I believe it's the one against the Raiders that he engineered in the Pro Football Hall of Fame because it's that rare for a rookie to be able to do that. And he did that behind an offensive yeah. line that wasn't really that great, that the Steelers have focused their free agency on shoring up and rebuilding, behind a run game that really took a while to get going, and with an offensive coordinator who is, quite frankly, been under a lot of heat mm. for his lack of offensive creativity. Yeah. So you put all of those things together. And then you had, you know, various messes at wide receiver and et cetera, et cetera. It, it's, he's also going to make a really, really big mm. jump. And I think that he is someone that this city will feel, that the city of Pittsburgh will feel really good about having. If they get another good quarterback, uh, I'm going to be angry. And maybe that's my bias. And I can't believe that you don't think that he has the pieces for it. I feel like he's a quarterback that was such was a veteran college quarterback, if you will, and like Mac Jones. So I feel like those guys come up, come into the league with a little bit of an edge mentally because you, all those things you said are fair. I just feel like they've had a lot of life experience, if you will, in college more than some of these other quarterbacks that play for one or two years, and and so I think he has that advantage, but I, I just don't see the skill set being front line. I, I guess we'll find and, out. And here's what I would say. He's a guy, unlike a guy who went to Alabama, you know, he came into Pitt. He was originally yeah. going to go to Temple. Then right. Pitt comes in, he goes to Pitt. And that first year, he doesn't play at all until, I guess, the 11th or 12th game of the season. He finally gets a chance. He started the season third string, fourth string, something like that. Mm -hmm. He comes in against number two, Miami, and he beats them. And he takes a team that was, what, five wins his first year as a starter to go and win the ACC title. And he's not necessarily just walked into a well-oiled machine. That's fair. So yes. he's had to do a lot of the creating and forging and leading and making. Yeah. I think that that benefits him in a way that's different from a comparison to a Mac Jones, why I don't like that. Okay. And then the other piece to this is, does he have the Mike Vick cannon of an arm where he just flicks his wrist and there it goes? Does he have the Joe Flag, the Brock Osweiler height? You know, whatever, if you want to make up these things. Yeah. No, but he finds a way. It's like that yeah. fake slide that they've now outlawed, you know, like he's right, got right. a deceiving athleticism. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating. And P.S. I played in a charity softball game with him where he hit the, he hit, I think two home runs. Really? <laughs> and as he ran by me on second base, I said, is there anything I was playing second? He's running by. Yeah. I goes, anything you don't do well. <laughs> and what do he say? Uh, he just laughed. Okay. He's modest too. He's got yeah, some humility. Right. I will say that. All right, let's wrap it up. I said I was going to keep you 15 minutes, but you and I talk, we get going, and we just go. And it's almost 30 minutes, right? So let's wrap it up with the Bengals, the only AFC North team we haven't talked about. The The interesting story with the Bengals is, I think there's a couple things. They've lost their two veteran safeties, which I think is a big deal. They yeah. have brought in one safety for the Rams. They're going with their first-round pick, Daxel, last year. I think that's a big deal. But the other really big story 
But really, it's also the Joe Mixon situation, what they're going to do there. But will this team that is consistently not spent, and all of a sudden, the last couple of years, they have spent. I give them credit for that because they had never done the past. But will they not only sign Joe, Joe Burrow to an extension, but sign both his receivers? Because I think that's the key. Not only signing Burrow, but but signing Higgins, who's a free agent after next year, and Jamar Chase. They got a couple of years with him. I don't They'll know how you make the money days. of that work. I don't you have to find a way? Then you see they've done. They've I'll give them credit. They've done a overall a very good job drafting. And if you're drafting well, you can fill the roster with young players, right? That's I assume that's why they didn't want to pay. I knew they weren't going to pay Jesse Bates. I thought they would pay um, Von Bell to stay to have at least one veteran. They didn't, but you know, you feel you believe you could replace a lot of these. I like. I think you got to keep that core of the passing game together. Well, and especially because it is such a passing team, you know, even yes. before all of the complications on the personal end with Joe Mixon mm-hmm. and whatever happens there. Yeah, I had sort of felt during the season that it was likely his last season in Cincinnati, not just because of the amount of money that he's making. So there are two pieces to it. One, you were talking about this earlier in terms of going to a run first team, Odell Beckham going to a run first team. The Bengals are no longer a run first team. No, There was a time when they had the law firm, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, and remember all that one? And Gio Bernard and Jeremy Hill, and they really were pounding the ball. Even Joe Mixon, I mean, we've seen this, but they've really made a change. So whether it was Joe Mixon wanting to go to a team that was more run first, like a San Francisco, let's say, you know, where they value pounding the ball like that, or whether it was the Bengals saying, hey, we're just not going to pound the ball that way anymore. So we don't want to pay $10 million to a starter at that position. We can get the whole entire room for $10 million. We can get the whole room for less than $10 million. Either way, it just felt like this might be time for a breakup, whether it's the player wanting to go to a team that runs the ball more, or whether it's the team wanting to kind of cut that cost. So to that point, you would think, yeah, then focus your money. If you're not going to focus the money on your backs, focus it on your pass catchers that make you so dynamic. I just don't know how you can pay both of them because T Higgins is a one. He oh, is yeah. a one. No he's doubt. not a Jamar Chase, but no. Jamar Chase is a one plus. Okay. How many one pluses are there in the no, league? No, he's right a, he's T. Higgins to me is like the level of like Amari Cooper. He's a good, yes. he's like a middle of the road one, but that's pretty damn good to be a middle of the road one. Yeah. Jamar Chase, it, you said it perfectly. He's a one, he's one of the, the four, five, six, whatever, super elites at that position. He's another one. But I do believe that T is a one. You know, and we'll go back to Pittsburgh. We saw this a lot with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster, right? And Juju had such great numbers. And so you were thinking, oh, this guy could be a one, one, one. Mm, It's because Antonio Brown drew double and triple teams on every single play. Now, did Juju's credit... When the ball came to him, he caught it. That's what yeah. you have to do, right? Sure. I remember I, I remember AJ Green telling me this. Marvin Jones once had a game. Marvin Jones was a rookie in Cincinnati, and he had four touchdowns. I remember that game. And it's because AJ Brown was doubled or tripled yeah. the entire game. Yeah. No one, not AJ Brown, AJ Green. AJ Why Green. am I saying yeah, AJ Brown? It. Sorry. <laughs> right. Anyway, AJ Green, I remember him telling me he was more excited for Marvin than I think Marvin was. And yeah. he said it is absolutely a reflection on Marvin that he caught the ball. Not just that, you sure. know, that he took advantage 
of those opportunities. So Juju did that. But Juju yeah. thought that he was a one. Right. And guess what? He He's wasn't not. actually a one. And no. he couldn't be a one when Antonio was gone in Pittsburgh, and he couldn't be a one in the other places that he's gone. T yeah. will be a one. And yeah. I have seen coverages shade. You know, there was a period during Jamar's rookie year, and it happens to a lot of rookies. He came on, he burst onto the scene, and then sort of in the middle of the season. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah. And I remember Mike Tomlin saying to me, it's not that he's being doubled anymore. It's just like, Teams have some film on him. So you know some of his tendencies. You're learning some of those things. Yeah. So defenses were, when Jamar wasn't being as productive, defenses were indeed clouding to T. Higgins some. And still, he was taking advantage. He was yeah. able to do that. So I think that T would be a very good one. Maybe not a, you know, maybe not an AJ Brown one right. or a Jamar Chase one, but a one. Yeah. So I don't know how you pay two one receivers. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to probably pay them uh, maybe forty-five million between them. I mean, and then you're paying Joe Bur between Burrow, Chase, and Higgins. You're probably looking at between ninety to one hundred million. Hundred million dollars. Yeah, I just don't think so, and especially since yeah. receiver. There's no. We talked about the difficulty in playing quarterback from college to the NFL. Yeah. I think pr maybe no position is easier to make the transition right now than at receiver, and we're seeing all these I mean, right receivers there. come in and have an immediate impact. So it's kind of that same idea. You know, we saw Minnesota doing this and trading Stefan Diggs, and we see the Bengals saying, "All right, we know how much value we get out of these veteran safeties, Von Bell and Jesse Bates, but we're just going to try with a rookie." Right. you know, making yeah. that estimation, they can say, well, as long as we have Burrow, who makes everybody around him better, and as long as we have Jamar Chase, who's always going to draw extra defensive attention, we can just plug in another mm. young receiver. You're probably right. I hope they don't go that way. Cut Mixon, which I'm surprised they haven't. I thought with you, they'd definitely be gone by now. They haven't cut him yet. I think this is Tyler Boyd's last year in Cincinnati because he's getting to 30. We'll see. They also got to sign Logan Wilson, the linebacker, and they just signed mm -hmm. Jermaine Pratt. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Aditi, we spent almost 35 minutes just talking about the AFC North. We have no time for anything else. It was a long time, but it was a we great conversation. We didn't talk about ice cream. We didn't talk about pizza. Nothing. All the fun things. We had how your up. son has suddenly turned my son into an obsessive football card guy. And I love it. Really? All this money wow. out the window now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Because well, we gotta come, you got to come back cards, for another visit. You got to buy the sleeves to put the rookie cards in, yeah. and then you have to deal with the, yeah. Well, we'll have to come back for another visit, or maybe we'll come to Pittsburgh, because I, I oh, love I going love to PNC. PNC is such a beautiful park. I love going to the baseball stadium. Let's do that. Can yeah. we do that? You come, and let's go to a baseball game together. All right. We'll make a plan. Done. We'll make a plan soon. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank we'll you take for a break me. and wrap things up next. It's the bullpen with Adam the Bull. You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, great talking with Aditi Kikapwala. Man, we just went on. I, I thought we talked for 15 minutes. We ended up talking for 35 minutes, and we just talked about the AFC North, but I hope you enjoyed that breakdown. It's always fun chatting with her. She has such great insight on the AFC North. Real quick before we wrap it up, last night in the play-in round, uh, Hawks beat the Heat 116-105. The Heat were terrible in this game. They made a couple of runs to make it closer but not good enough. Uh, and the Lakers, who had every advantage, T-Wolves, two of their best players didn't play in this game due to suspension and injury. The T-Wolves had a huge, huge lead. They were up 60 to 49 at halftime, but they completely cratered late. They scored 
16 points between the fourth quarter and overtime and the Lakers with LeBron getting 30 and 10 win 108 102. So tonight you got the nine, 10 games, Bulls, Raptors, Thunder, Pelicans, a day off on Thursday. And then Friday, the heat will play the, um, the loser of the Bulls, Raptors, the winner of the Bulls, Raptors game. And the Lakers will play, uh, not the Lakers, the T-Wolves will play the winner of the Thunder Pelican game before the playoffs start on Saturday. That's going to do it for me. Hope you enjoyed this latest edition uh, of the of the podcast. Thanks to Brian Monzo, as always. You've been listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull, part of the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next time right here in The Bullpen. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.